Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Good morning again. So my name is Daniel Moray. I am, uh, um, yeah, I'm happy to finally get a chance to preach here. I can take this off, I guess. So I'm about to tell you that I work in a hospital, so I wear these things all day. And uh, I kind of don't even realize when I'm wearing them. But there is a whole science to comfortable mask wearing, so if you have any questions, let me know afterwards, all right? We got it figured out at the hospital. So um, I'm here, you guys saw my two daughters and my wife just a few minutes ago. Um, We just moved here um, December 15 of last year. The reason why I'm here is because I am uh, a chaplain resident. It means I'm doing a one-year chaplain program at the University of Louisville Hospital. So here's my hospital right there. Um, I work there, I uh, respond to any uh, major traumas that come in, help support the family, help support patients, um, whether they've attempted suicide or been in a car car accident or been shot or stabbed or had a stroke. Um, We help to support their emotional and spiritual needs, um, whatever those may be, while they're doing that. And then I have some classes that I do every once a a week to kind of discuss that and see how we can do it better. And... um, it's been a powerful, life-changing experience for me, to say the least. Um, and I think my wife would agree with that, that our home life has changed drastically. Something about being with people in their moment of need and, and when they're facing the biggest crises of their life um, will make you take stock of your own life and, and change the way you perceive a lot of, a lot of things. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. Um, yeah. So in my hospital then, and and the work that I do, um, a lot of stuff that becomes old news for most of us is still very prevalent and real to me throughout my day-to-day work. So for example, like COVID. Um, COVID, even though we're wearing masks, like the idea of COVID, the big pandemic part of it is kind of slowly becoming old news. Well, it's old news until your brother is catastrophically injured at work and you come to the hospital to see him and the doctors or nurses say, sorry, you can't see him because he might be COVID positive. Then it becomes very real to you. Um, Other news that we have going on right now is like um, the injustice or the protesting or the Black Lives Matters movement that's happening right here in Louisville. It tends to become old news. We see it on the news, we look it up. I mean, I just checked a few moments ago and I did a search for Kentucky Derby, just Kentucky Derby. The first four articles that came up had to do with people protesting at the Kentucky Derby. And, but for us here, it just kind of seems like old news. Well, it seems like old news until somebody that you care about deeply is mistreated because of the color of their skin. And then it becomes very real news. Um, in the short time that my family has been here in Louisville, we've well, I don't know if it's, like, if it's just because of my job is the reason why it's so prevalent to me now, but the violence that is in Louisville is, 
it's just overwhelming and horrific. Just this week, I, was, uh, I worked 16 hours this week, and I saw four people die from gunshot wounds and three other people come in with gunshot wounds. Um, in 16 hours of working, now let's take into account that our hospital is the place where people go when they have gunshot wounds, right? Um, but seriously? I've had police officers tell me that while I'm working, they tell me that they are used to, used to, hearing gunshots and being shot at in the division that they work in. In the United States, in Kentucky, in the city of Louisville, police officers and other people are used to being shot at. Not in Afghanistan or Iraq, but right here. Um, I gotta ask you a real quick question though, it's a little side note. Could you close that door for me please? Both of those doors? That'd be awesome, thank you. There's a really bad glare coming in from the parking lot. Additionally, I've had patients tell me that got shot, patients that got shot, talk about being shot. Oh, well, this is the first time I've been shot. I really don't know how to react. And they talk about it in a way that one of us would likely talk about being in a car accident. You know, if you drive a car long enough, you're probably going to get in a car accident. Well, they talk about it in a way that, you know, if you live long enough in their neighborhoods, you're probably going to get shot. Like, it's a normal thing for them. Now, I could talk about that for a while, but really, I want to go to something that's worse. Something that's facing this city, this state, and this country that's far more pervasive and far more horrific than violence. And that is the way that the black members of our community and our church and our city are being degraded and treated inhumanely by the world that they're living in. The way that injustice has run rampant throughout our culture and how it's so ingrained in the fabric of who we are that many times we don't even notice it. That men and women of color, specifically black men and women, are living their lives with this consistent concern that they don't matter as much as other people do. And that they're going to be treated unfairly and unjustly simply because of the color of their skin. So the Black Lives Matters protests are not focused on um, the violence that's happening, the gun violence, the, which are horrific things. But they're rather focused on the ways that people, black people specifically, are being treated unjustly. And I, for one, feel that um, as we're standing or we're sitting or we're in this congregation worshiping on the Sabbath day, and there's people out there at Church Hill Downs protesting and searching and trying to get an opportunity to bring an end to the injustice that's in our community that we can use this time, and God's given me the, the desire to use this time to just discuss that a little bit, and discuss it not from a place of pointing fingers or anything like that. Um, but I want to discuss this topic with the idea that this is a safe place, that this is a place where we can be vulnerable and open, 
that we can share our struggles with this topic, that we can address it without feeling like we're being attacked by somebody, but also we can, we can put down our guards a little bit and just accept the reality of what's happening in our world and allow a conversation to begin within this congregation that can hopefully bring us to a point where we can join in the movement of justice for all humanity in our country. So that's my hopes for, for this message. Um, I know it's difficult to hear this stuff. I would be much rather be up here preaching about heaven, preaching about the soon coming of Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, which I love and I'm enjoying. Like, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit connecting with Him is amazing and powerful. Continue to listen to doc, or doctor, Pastor uh, Marius's uh, messages, okay? Um, but right now, we're going to have this conversation. And I invite you to sit here and just listen. Be open. Um, and my job, I sit with people who are in the worst places of their life, in the worst times of their life. And I just try to be available for them. And I want to invite you to just be available as we have this conversation right now, or this, it's more like a monologue, I guess, so that you can hear something that might begin something in your life and allow you to have that peace. And not only peace, but rather, let's pray. God, we're inviting you to be here right now because we need you. We need you to do something in our world. We need you to make sure that the people of color in our congregation and in our community are not living in constant fear, but that they can find peace and find joy and find fulfillment and find progress in this world that we live in now. We ask this in your mighty name, God. Amen. So if there is one passage in the Bible that talks about justice, you'll see it in all the sermons and all the articles that you read about with justice, and that is Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As Seventh-day Adventists, we're really good at the last part. I think like the walking humbly with your God part, we preach about that a lot, we talk about that a lot. Um, uh, Pastor uh, Marius has been preaching an incredible series on connecting with the Holy Spirit, and like I just said, the real success of the Christian life comes through connecting with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing and it's powerful, but there comes times in our, in our lives where we need to step back from the desire to, to grow spiritually and be a great disciple of God and step into the problems that our world is facing in order to bring about change for all of humanity. And I would imagine that through doing that, we'll actually grow with God at the same time, okay? Um, Jesus thought it was so important that he even speaks to the religious leaders like this in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and dill and cumin, like the smallest things you can have, like you separate 10% of that and put it aside. So you take all your time and effort doing these little details, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. I find it interesting that both Jesus and Micah put justice as the very first item. I don't know if there's anything to that, but they're the very first thing on the list. Justice, justice, justice. So Jesus finds that being 
acting with justice is more important than the details of religiosity. So let's take a minute to talk about the problem, and I want to read you this little vignette of a story here. The man was snatched away in the middle of the night. The militia that snagged him pushed him through their own mockery of a trial, condemning him guilty before ever allowing him to speak a word of defense. They beat him, and then in a sheer act of wrath and repulsion and ridicule, he was dead. It only took a few short hours to go from free to dead in the hands of his captors. This little vignette of injustice is referring to Jesus' death 2,000 years ago. Yet, the striking resemblance that it shares with the unjust death of so many black men and black women in our community today is sickening. How many have been treated without regard for human life, just like Jesus was, by the police who were sworn to protect and serve? In just a few moments, they go from free, or some sort of thing that might look like freedom, to their lives being snuffed away at the hands of the police officers. Acts 8.33 says this about Jesus. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. I would make the claim that the death of Jesus is the most unjust act humankind has ever seen. And it was certainly the most unjust act of his generation. But I would also add to that that the killing and unjust treatment of black America is the greatest act of injustice our generation has ever seen. And how much more unjust for Christians who serve the one who was treated so unjustly 2,000 years ago, the one of pure love and grace and mercy, who was treated as a criminal unjustly condemned by his captors yet we cannot find it in our hearts to put in the effort and the time to address those who are so unjustly treated today now in a world of polemics where we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater I do want to make a caveat here because I want to say that I support the work of police officers. I support what they do in our community. I work with a number of them on a daily basis, and I appreciate all that they do. They're, all police are not horrible people. Some have issues, and others are racist in the, first, in the worst sense of the word. It's true. There are some who go around looking for African Americans to target, and all just like each of us in this room and watching online have biases, that if those biases are left unchecked, they can lead to heinous or evil actions. And if you don't think that this can touch you, if you're thinking that this is somebody else's problem, somebody else's issue, um, I stand before you today. Um, my uncle uh, is a uh, Indian from India. Um, and four years ago, he was killed by police in Arizona. I won't give you the details of the story, but I will tell you that we really don't know what happened. Um, his family has been very successful in their business. 
They have plenty of money. They've hired lawyers to look into this. And even the lawyers say, you know what? The police reports are all written verbatim. Every word is identical in every police report. There's no way for you to address this situation and to find any sort of resolve in the court system. And they have plenty of money to fight as much as they can. How about those people that are living from paycheck to paycheck, just trying to keep food on their table? How are they gonna find opportunities to work for injustice or to face, to, to try to, what am I trying to say? How are they gonna get opportunities to have justice in these situations when the whole system is stacked against them? And what can we do about that? We're gonna to get to that. Now, I know that this is hard stuff to hear. I know. Um, for me personally, I don't wanna hear about this because the police are the people that I trust to care for me in my time of need. If I need the police, I want to be able to pick up my phone and call 911 and trust that there is going to be a reliable, honest police officer that's gonna to come to me. If I get pulled over for speeding or for driving or maybe having a tail light out or something, if I get pulled over, I wanna be able to trust that though that police officer might give me a ticket, he has my best interest in mind and that he can, that or she, um, is not going to treat me unfairly. I want to be able to trust that. And that's why when I hear this stuff, it, it just wells up inside of me this desire to put up a blockade and to say, no, I don't want to hear these stories. I don't want to hear about the way these people are being treated because when I hear about them, it breaks down my own sense of security. It breaks down my own safety. But is there a way that we can enter into that place of insecurity, that place of vulnerability, and allow ourselves to begin to hear the stories and to learn and to reach into these places of darkness and despair and help other people that need it. You know, the Bible teaches us that there will be a time when we want a seat at the table discussing, discussing religious justice when laws are being adjusted in such a way that, they're going, that we are going to be calling out to our community to hold up religious freedom, will they say to us, where were you when we were striving for justice for our sons and daughters? Where were you when justice was not based on the letter of the law, but the color of our skin? Or will they say, you are those who stood behind us, next to us in our time of need. You fought for justice right alongside of us. You walked alongside me, you advocated for me, you did what you could to bring about change for my sons and daughters. How can I do the same for you? I'm coming to this message from a position that believes that this congregation and those that are watching online are not a bunch of racist scoundrels. The thought that any one of us would blatantly violate the sacred rights of another human being because of their skin color or national origin is sickening to me. So if, if you are one of those people, however, that looks at people and immediately violates them because of their race or their skin color, 
I want to tell you that Christ is not pleased with that kind of attitude and that kind of living. I invite you to take the time to say, God, help me with this. God, help me. You know, just, man, kind of a lot of stuff happens where I work, okay? Like, it's in downtown Louisville, and we get a lot of bad stuff there. But just this week, a colleague of mine's daughter was in our hospital just crying and bawling because somebody, for some random reason, just jumped out of his car while she was getting to our hospital and just started yelling and screaming at her and racially degrading her with every book, every word in the book. Just tore her down verbally. Those kind of people, the people that are struggling with that kind of racism, turn to Jesus. He'll bring you through that. He'll bring you out of that. Now, I don't think most of the people here and most of the people watching online are like that. I would imagine not so. I, personally, I think most of us have what we call bias. So here's this book right here. It's by Jennifer Eberhardt. It's called Biased. Highly, highly recommend reading this book. Of all the books that I'm going to mention today, this is the only one I've read. Okay, the other ones are all books that I'm still learning about. I'm still on this journey with you all, just learning about what racial injustice looks like in our communities and in our country and how we can address that. She says, uh, let's see here. Where am I at? That most of us are not openly against black women and black men, but each of us have categories of things we like and dislike. People we openly engage with, others that we don't engage with, parts of town that we like, parts of town that we don't like. These are called our biases. They're these un unconscious, subconscious things that we do that makes us comfortable in our world. One of the things that we do, and I think that the church does this a lot, is that we we become colorblind. Now, colorblind is a, a specific term that's being used nowadays to represent somebody who doesn't look, who says that they don't look at the color of an individual, of their skin color. And what colorblind actually does is that colorblindness, though well-intentioned, leaves people without the language to discuss race and to examine their own bias. If I look at everybody as being the same as me, I disregard that they may have a different experience than me. That, that you all, and you all, and you all, have the exact same life as me. That would be colorblind. But rather, it's saying that I know that you all, and you all, and you all, have different experiences than me, and I want to hear what's your experience of being a black man in this community. What's your experience of being a brown woman in this community? Share that with me. I want to grow with you so I can better understand who you are and the experiences that you have and how I can be a part of bringing comfort and care and change to those areas that you need it in. So that's, that's, what, that's where we say that colorblindness, this idea that I, I just look at everybody the same. I don't see color. I see everybody the same, is actually degrading to what we're trying to do with, um, uh, with, with addressing the injustice. Because the first thing we have to do is recognize that the injustice is actually happening. Now, I, I didn't say this earlier. I've been leaving this up here for a minute because I want you all to have an opportunity to snap a picture of this. There's a few other things that you probably want to snap a picture of so that you can have that um, to look up later, okay? So have your phones ready so you can just get a picture of this book. is great. Um, 
I think you're, you're, it's really going to be eye-opening. It's very professionally written. Um, it's not polemic and pushy or anything like that. It's just honest and true. And she brings herself to the book and shares openly um, with the research that she's done. She's a Yale graduate who now works, um, I think, in Princeton. So check it out, okay? Um, yeah, this is where we're at now. So from colorblind, where do we go from there? Um, I'm going to give you a very short primer on Black Lives Matters right now. It's likely that many of us saw Black Lives Matters and thought, yeah, of course, all lives matter, right? Of course Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. But the problem with saying that is that we are ignoring the fact that the major issue that our community is facing today is not towards all people, but is specifically towards black people. People of color in general, but specifically towards black people. And because of that, we need to take the opportunity to not become unracist or not racist, but rather to become anti-racist. Now, I'm not a professional on this um, topic at all. I'm just learning, just like the rest of you, We're, um, or maybe some of you are past the learning point where you're actually doing some stuff. But um, I want to just share this video with you. This is from a, a podcast that's put out by the Adventist Learning Community. The moderator is... Uh, Kendra Arsenault. She is a classmate of mine from Andrews University. And then the, the other person I'm speaking is Michael Nixon. He's the Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion at Andrews University. I would say he's probably more of a professional, um, much more of a professional than I am. So let's go ahead and watch this video. It's about six minutes and you'll learn quite a bit from it, okay? A practical takeaway, like what are some things that people can do to be anti-racist? Because there are people who are, want to be advocates and who are listening to this conversation and, and they're wanting to put some things into practice. And so what are some practical things that people can, can begin to implement? So I think that the first step for all of us, um, and I think I touched on it a bit earlier, but I think the, the really first critical step that needs to be taken um, in America by everyone, but, but in particular by white Americans is to a divest from the construct of whiteness, from the belief in white supremacy, and a hierarchy of human value. Um, those, those are just really critical things that need to happen. Now, I say all of us because, you know, we, we are all shaped in some degree by the construct of whiteness. Now, this is not to demonize people who are white, you know, because that is just a race is a social construct. But uh, it, it, it is the way that whiteness has been weaponized in um, both our country and in, a, in the globe to, again, establish this hierarchy of human value where whites sit at the top and non-whites are subjugated below that um, at different scales. And so um, I, I really think that's a, there, there are lots of tools out there that can help folks to do that. Um, the, the, you know, two books that come to mind are um, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo and, and Waking Up White. I, the name of the author escapes me right now, but those are two really good books that help uh, particularly white folks process that. Um, th th there's also a book called So You Want to Talk About Race, which is a really good book that came out recently um, that folks who want to engage in this conversation better um, uh, should do and can do. Um, and I think it's really critical for folks to commit to 
uh, the intentional long-term work of anti-racism. That's really the solution. Um, and so a critical book that I would suggest is Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Uh, and within that book, um, I'll just provide a quick definition on anti-racism so folks know and understand what that is. Uh, in the, you know, Kendi basically says in the book that to be anti-racist is to think nothing is behaviorally wrong or right, inferior or superior with any of the racial groups, okay? So he basically says that whenever the anti-racist sees individuals behaving positively or negatively, the anti-racist sees exactly that, individuals behaving positively or negatively, not representatives of whole races. So I think this is really key, for example, with the discussion around peaceful protests, when you have rioting happening, yeah, and yeah. when reports even come out that that's happening largely by folks who are not Black Lives Matter protesters and are actually non-Black, um, but yet, Black people in particular have to carry the weight of the perceptions around what it means for that negative behavior to be happening around a peaceful protest, you know? And, and so racist thinking um, imputes that upon the entire Black race and the 99% of people who are peacefully raising their voice, as opposed to the small minority of folks who are uh, trying, or who are opportunists and who are trying to hijack the narrative. Um, but, but because we see that through a racist lens, we can't just see it for what it is and move that to a side and stay focused on the, the, the real issue. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so he continues there, to be anti-racist is to de-racialize behavior, to remove the tattooed stereotype from every racialized body. Behavior is something humans do, not racists do. So therefore an anti-racist then, just to be real quick, is someone who is expressing an anti-racist idea or supporting an anti-racist policy with their actions. And an anti-racist idea is any idea that says the racial groups are equal. And so it's, it's kind of fundamental there, but I think really adopting that as a practice and, 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 and a key there is advocating for anti-racist policies. And so what that says is wherever we see inequities in our society, whether that's educational outcomes or housing segregation or mm -hmm. uh, nutrition, nutritional food de deserts or lack of access to healthcare and how that's happening in predominantly black or brown communities, then that means that our conclusion is that racism is contributing to those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so that requires us now to respond to that with anti-racist policies, which makes the scales more equitable once again and puts the races back on a level playing field because the fundamental belief is that all races are equal. And right. so it would, be, it would be amazing if All Lives Matter was an anti-racist chant as opposed to a racist one, which is trying to shut down the, the need for us to proclaim that Black Lives Matter in the midst of a country and society which has so many uh, political, policy-based and driven realities which tell us that we're not equal, you know, mm -hmm. and that our lives don't matter. And mm -hmm. so um, that's, that, that's what I think is the, the most critical thing that folks can do is to understand what these racial disparities are in their context and then advocate for policies which can overturn uh, those inequitable tables. All right, so that podcast is called Advent Next.
Go ahead and snap a picture of this one too. I really recommend you all um, subscribe to this thing. You can find it anywhere that you would find a podcast or a video at. Um, just go on their website, adventnext.com. Um, check back often with that and listen often. The, the podcasts on there cover a variety of topics and they are incredible. Um, very, very well done, very professional, and also um, it, will, it will help grow your faith in God very much by listening to that and your knowledge of what's going on in our church and our world. Um, so, so some of the things he mentioned, first of all, here's the books. So if you want to take a picture of that too, there's the four books that he mentioned. Three books on top and the other one didn't fit, so I just put the title there. Um, so you want to talk about race, white fragility, how to be an anti-racist, and then waking up white and finding my story, finding myself in the story of race. So great, great resources for you to begin to explore this topic, this idea of what, it, what is actually happening in our world and in our community. I want to just put this quote back up here that he said, how to be an anti-racist, to think, to think nothing is behaviorally wrong or right, inferior or superior with any other racial group. To be an anti-racist is to de-racialize behavior, to remove the tattooed stereotype from every racialized body. Behavior is something that humans do, not races do. Now, to be honest with you, I don't even know how that statement connects with this sermon. I don't even know if this sermon is actually working with that statement or working against that. I'm not sure because this is all new to me. This is new stuff to me. All I knew is that I wasn't going to let this opportunity to share this with you pass. That I was going to just open my life, open my heart, and, and allow us to begin having some sort of discussion on this matter. Um, the question then becomes, what can I do, right? What can we do? What, how, how do I take what's been said today and bring that into the reality of my life. So here's a few resources for you. The Pacific Union Recorder, you know, we just transferred a membership here from California, so we might not get this anymore, but this is from the Pacific Union. Um, it's put out from California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah. Um, they put this issue out, and you can find it there if you just Google Pacific Union Recorder or go to that website. So take a picture of that. There's a ton of articles in here that are very, very helpful. So Pacific Union Recorder, take a look at those. They're very well written by a bunch of church leaders. So check that out. Well, let's see what's next. Oh, I also want to mention um, Yvonne last week prayed for us to be more empathic and understanding. Maybe you can pray about that. How can I be more empathic and understanding in this situation? We don't have to have an opinion or an answer about everything. Sometimes we can just listen. Sometimes we can just engage the conversation and just be there. And that can mean a whole lot and can begin us on the journey or continue us on the journey of caring for individuals that are being unjustly treated. In the chaplain world, we talk about having a, a spirit of curiosity, sanctified spirit of curiosity. And so be curious. Just be curious. You don't have to think that this is going to shut down everything you've ever known to be true. But just be curious and let the conversations happen. Um, let's see here. Last, well, two weeks ago, rather, Dr. Phil Simon was preaching, and he said that our first priority is to be ready when Jesus comes. And for too long and for too many of us, the idea of being ready when Jesus comes has meant that we needed to isolate ourselves from the challenges of the world, that we need to get away from 
the problems that the world's facing and keep ourselves protected and keep our children protected. Well, maybe, well, I think, I shouldn't say maybe because that would be like a bad thing. Just, what I think is, is that the more we engage with the needs of our world today, the more prepared we become for Jesus' return. That's going to grow our faith. That's going to grow our lives. That's going to grow our spirituality. We need to be engaging with the needs of this world. And then here's, here's um, when, when uh, shortly after um, the death, oh man, I'm drawing a blank on his name, the, the gentleman that was killed by police in Minneapolis, George Floyd. Shortly after his death, when the protests started getting really nationwide, the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists had this video conference. Um, it, it's about two hours long, but part of it they had uh, uh, Chaplain Barry Black speaking. He's the chaplain of the United States Senate. The only place I can find this video is on Facebook, and you know Facebook has horrible links, so you need to go to Facebook, type in North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists, go to videos, and then you'll just scroll until you see Let Justice Roll, okay? So that's the video. It's like two or three hours long. You don't have to watch the whole thing if you don't want to. Um, I haven't actually watched the whole thing, but I did watch this part with Chaplain Barry Black, and I want to share with you what he said. Chaplain Barry Black said, oh, let me go back one time. You got it? Did you get it? Okay. He said, give God the cur courtesy of starting the conversation. And these are the six ways that he says to give God the courtesy of starting the conversation. Pray early. Pray privately, pray for your friends, pray for your enemies, pray the scriptures, and pray the promises of God. If at the very least, when we're still trying to let this settle into our core of who we are, and just, just, just thinking, God, I know that there's something going on here, but I'm so afraid to address this, um, just pray about that. Let God know that that's where you're at. God meets us right where, our at, where we're at. He doesn't, he doesn't think that we need to get things together before he comes to us. You know, that's the power, that's the beauty of God. And right now, I think it's a great time for me to just tell you that God loves you so much. He loves you with a... He's not trying to tell you that you need to fix a whole bunch of things in your life before he can come, you can come to him. He's saying, hey, where are you? Come on, you can join me here. I'll join you there. Just give your life to him. Just say, God, you can even say it right now, God, I want you to be my God. I want to be able to trust in you. I want to be able to follow you. I want to be able to stand next to you, Lord Jesus. And I want to be able to say, God, I'm in darkness. I'm in despair. I hear what's happening in the world around me, and I don't know what to do about it. But God, I know that you have an answer, and I want to seek that answer from you and see how I can be a part of that. Just ask him to be the Lord of your life today, and he'll do it. He'll do it. And the journey of your life will change, and there will be a light where there was none. There will be hope where there was only hopelessness, and there will be peace in your deepest need. I see people constantly, constantly at work at my hospital. Constantly I see them there facing death. They're on death's door. And they say, I don't worry about myself. I know where I'm going. I have faith in Jesus that can carry me through this. And I find it amazing to think that a person who's laying in a hospital bed, who has to stop every couple of words to catch their breath, 
is still saying, Jesus has me, and I can still trust in him. You can do that too. He's on your side. Every day, in every way, Christ is on your side. People always say, or some of my classmates when I was in the seminary would say, God's on the side of the oppressed. And I say, yes, he is on the side of the oppressed. And he's also on the side of the oppressor. He may not be helping the oppressor to oppress, but God is not against any individual. There's not one person on this planet that God is against. God is here to reach into our lives and to transform us into his likeness and to teach us of his love. So lately there's this song that I, I heard probably about a month ago, and when I first heard it, I was driving home from work, and I had to stop it and put it back on, and then put it back on again, and put it back on again, and I went inside, and I put it on again, and then I looked up the chords, and I started playing it on my guitar, and I was so captivated by the power of this song, and it just touched my heart immensely. It, it's called Unconditional, and I'm going to invite my daughter here. Come on. And our friend Yvonne Altimore to come up here and Altador, sorry, Altador, to come up here and sing this song with me. The words are going to be up on the screen. Um, if you want to sing along, feel free to. But um, what I really want to invite you to do is to take this opportunity to be open. Take the opportunity to just hear the words of this song and let them touch you in some way. Let them become part of who you are. You don't have to judge, be judging. You don't have to be protecting yourself. Right now, just let yourself be vulnerable to the voice of God speaking to your heart. Just give me a real quick second to tune here. Why do the mess so 
So you don't have to walk out of here today and go change your clothes and go down to Churchill Downs and join the protests. All right, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to allow yourselves to begin to be open to the problems that our world is facing with injustice and specifically to the problems that black men and women are facing with injustice. Um, there's a passage, there's one more slide on there, if you could put it up, Isaiah 117. It says, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. It just starts with the, with the request to learn. 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 I've given you some resources here during the message to learn. There's people in this room right now that you could probably learn from. There's opportunities in our community for you to learn. And as Christians who call in the name of God, 
to come and be so much a part of our lives. I think it's time for us as a church and as individuals and as Christians to step in and call on the name of God to make an impact in the lives of others who are being treated so unjustly and so unfairly in our world today. God, it's, that's our prayer today, that you would teach us, that we would learn. And I don't want to let this moment pass by, God, without recognizing that there's people in this congregation. It's very realistic that there's people in this room right now or watching online that have faced this injustice firsthand. And Lord, I want to pray for healing for them. I want to ask you, God, that you would come and touch their hearts and touch their lives to bring to them some people that they can be vulnerable with and open with and share the challenges that they're facing and find hope and find healing where there was once none. God, let this congregation be a place of safety and a place of openness where we're not telling people to come here and be like us, but rather we're letting people come just how they are and we're embracing who they are, hearing their stories, and doing what we can and being who we can be to bring about a change in this world. God, let us start with us in our own hearts. For those that are here right now that are hearing this, this information for the first time, or for those that are here that have just been wondering what can I do, God, may this be a starting point for them as it was for me. I made this problem that's so huge. It's a massive, massive problem that goes back for centuries. May we not be overwhelmed by it, God, but may you speak to us, begin that conversation with us, and show us where we can make a contribution to bring an end to the injustice and to bring about your kingdom here on earth even before you return and to prepare others for your soon coming. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ because you are our Lord and Savior. You know what it's like to be treated unjustly. Those people that have been treated unjustly, Lord God, they can, we know they can come to you because you've been there You've felt that, you've experienced that, and that you can comfort them with that divine comfort. And let us be a bridge to connect between the oppressed and you today and every day, God. So in your mighty name we pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 May God bless you all.